Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and joining me today as co-hosts are Martha from Boston Red Cloaks, Karen from Boston Red Cloaks, and I'm Laura from Boston Red Cloaks. Today we have a very special guest. We're very excited to have Gina Frank, who is the Government and Policy Director for NARAL Pro-Choice Massachusetts. We're happy to have you. Thanks for coming on, Gina. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be with you guys. We were so happy to get to know you and learn much more about NARAL's hands-on in the state coordination of really important legislative efforts in the last historic two-year session. Um, so we'd love to look back at the Roe Act with you and just get like a minute or so <laughs> to be happy about a major accomplishment. And you worked really hard on that. And we would just, you know, first, thank you. Like, red clicks, round of applause. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, round of applause to you all. Like, you know, I we could not achieve this kind of legislative victory without tremendous grassroots effort. And you all were a big part of that, of like, you know, doing the work. Because I can go in, so I go in and lobby every day. Well, I mean, now I don't go in. Now I virtually go in, but I lobby <laughs> legislators every day. But, you know, the thing that makes what I say to them matter is that then it's backed up by hearing from their own constituents. You know, that's the only way it's possible. But no, it's amazing. We achieved what is probably the greatest legislative victory for abortion access in Massachusetts history. So like, let's just take a moment. Greatest victory yeah. for abortion access right. in Massachusetts history. Right. <laughs> um, and you know, I'm doing really cool implementation work to make sure that people now, you know, that the hospitals are willing to provide the later abortion care, that they understand the law, that, you know, making sure that our, that they also understand that 16, 17 year olds don't have to go to court. We're figuring out the process where the people under 16 can go through, um, can do a tele visit for their judicial bypass instead of needing to go into court in person. You know, we're making sure that, you know, what do we need to do to make sure that nurse practitioners are clearly allowed to do aspiration abortions? So that's allowed under the law now. What kind of follow-up do we need to make sure to make that happen? So it's really exciting that I'm now getting to talk to all these people about making these laws happen. So you said uh, you're doing all this follow-up. Are the representatives also following up with you with whatever they can help or whatever they need to be to be doing yeah i mean i'd say that legislators primary role is to make the law and generally the governor's role and the governor's administration's role is to implement the law so in some ways we're in a bit of a sticky place because the person who's in charge of implementation actually vetoed the bill so the big thing though is there's not a lot of implementation work you know people at I, I can't say enough good things about the folks at the Department of Public Health. They're wonderful, um, albeit under-resourced. And we the big thing is awareness in the public, awareness and really helping healthcare providers understand. Because even though you know a law can say you're allowed to do a thing, people won't necessarily know that or understand that. You know, doctors will have questions about because you know previously there was a mandatory minimum sentence for provision of later abortion care if you got it wrong. You know, if you didn't meet the strict criteria for later abortion care. And now it says it's up to the discretion of the physician. And there isn't that criminal language in there. But that's a big transition. Uh, Gina, I, I'd like to know what uh, were some of the strategies that helped get the Roe Act passed or most of it passed? Yeah, that's a great question, Karen. I think that the number one thing was people hearing, so people meaning legislators, hearing from their own constituents about why it was important to them. And, you know, volume mattered. So for people who are just getting into this work, you know, filling out a postcard, you know, submitting an online form to contact your legislators is huge. 
but the higher level stuff being like, here is why I personally care about this and personalized outreach to your own legislators, asking them to make it a priority. Those are the things that when I talked to legislators, they were like, you know, I felt really conflicted about this, but I had some conversations with constituents who talked about why this was important to them, particularly a lot of male legislators who, you know, they've never thought about this stuff really that much, some of them. So hearing personal stories from constituents of people, you know, it's, there's such incredible abortion stigma that people, but we know that one in four women will have an abortion in her lifetime, right? We don't have the numbers for trans folks, but also significant numbers of trans folks will have abortions. And but like, we, there's such a culture of silence around it that you don't think you know anyone who's had an abortion. So just people saying, I had an abortion, it's so important to my life and my ability to control my own, my own future, my own body, is a game changer for a lot of legislators. Because again, they think of it as something that someone else does. You know, they, and I think that that's why it was also incredible personal storytellers of people who had to travel out of state to get an abortion. You know, to the extent that we could get young people to talk about their experiences of going through judicial bypass. And when they couldn't tell that story, you know, doctors and lawyers being able to tell that story of how burdensome it was. You know, I'm a real nerdy data person and I could show legislators facts and data till the cows come home, but it's the stories and hearing personalized outreach from constituents that really changes the way legislators feel about an issue. We had that uh, conversation with Car Representative Carmine Gentile uh, last summer, and mm -hmm. he shared with us the astonishment he faced, he felt when he learned that the daughter of, of a very, very close friend of his had a fatal fetal anomaly and was faced with that decision. And he was stunned and saddened at the reality that she had to face. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, even though he's such a strong champion for reproductive rights and always has been, I think that even throughout the, I mean, literally, it's my job to advocate for reproductive freedom, but I would hear these stories and it would put more fire into my passion, like wanting to do this work. Cause I was like, this is unacceptable. And every single time, you know, for me who like, I'm already all in, but it just, when you hear the stories, it really energizes you. So I have a two-parter for you, Gina. One of the things I keep hearing coming up with all the conversations that we're having, you know, about the Roe Act and other things is this misinformation that's out there. And um, the, yeah. the, you know, I, I feel like we all did a great job sort of slogging through that and getting through and, and exactly what you're just talking about, getting those stories to the legislators so that they know the real information out there, but how do you see that, um, you know, that, that being a piece of the row acting and having it passed and um, helping with this new stuff that's uh, um, coming up this session? I've been thinking a lot about this, particularly in relation to the pandemic, that we are living in a time where basic facts and medicine are still being questioned. You know, we are, thank God, now living in the post-Trump presidency era, but I think that we still have a fundamentally divided understanding of science and facts. You know, I was just looking this morning at how 77, I think, percent of Democrats approve of Charlie Baker's handling of the pandemic, right? Because um, facts don't matter, guys. And, you know, I, I think that that's always an issue, particularly, I think one of the problems is, is that 
we are so concerned with always telling exactly the truth and the opposition just isn't, they just lie. And, you know, it's so hard to battle straight up lies because, you know, we're like, well, how can we say this like sensitive in a sensitive way that will, you know, fully capture everyone's lived experience and how will we, you know, really capture all the nuances while they're like, they're killing babies, guys, they're killing babies. Right. And you're like, no, 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 that's actually completely false. But if we've learned anything in the last four years is that if people say stuff enough, it starts, you know, people start to worry about it. So I think that the way that we dealt with it was first, we had experts on our side. You know, we had healthcare providers. We had not just healthcare providers, because there is sort of a mistrust there sometimes. People are like, well, you know, surgeons always want to cut was something that a legislator said to me. We also had people like social workers who, you know, are seen as trusted advocates, particularly for young people when we were telling that story. We had nurses and people actually really trust nurses. So all these people in positions of authority who are providing care to needy folks they were saying, this is the right thing to do to protect people. This is the right thing to do to ensure that people can control their own bodies and lives. And, you know, when you have all the experts and the people with that personal, like the personal lived experience and the people who are the caregivers saying, this is the right thing, the misinformation, at least in Massachusetts and in the legislature starts to be drowned out. And I think that actually something that really helped us was because some of that misinformation was also coming from the Catholic Church, right? And so that's a position of authority. And I couldn't help but feel that we were helped by the marriage fight and the ugliness of the marriage fight and how the church had really alienated a lot of Catholic members in the legislature who are still in the legislature today. And so they were like, I've been burned by the church before and the church was on the wrong side of history, so they don't get a say in this. And I actually think that that's, that's sort of a, something we don't talk about as an angle, but I think that marriage equality was a huge impact on our ability to pass Roe. And same with transgender public accommodations. You know, these are things that they've been burned before and they've seen the same people show up and oppose basic civil rights and those people lose credibility. Can I ask just a quickie follow-up question to that? Because that is super scary to me and that uh, I'm sure to all of us. And, and I wonder, does that have an impact on things that pass? And do, do those types of organizations or parent, uh, people um, have the ability to stifle, you know, follow through with some of these bills that have been passed? Yeah, I don't think that they have a big impact on implementation, just because honestly, I don't think they have a good enough understanding of the process and how things actually work. Like they just I don't think they fully understand how government works in a lot of ways. So in some ways, Yahtzee, they're not a problem there. But I do think that they stand in the way of a lot of legislation passing and it takes way longer than it should have. So, you know, Roe is an example of, you really had to get back, I mean, hundreds of these people, we know that they're a small portion of the population, like a really small portion, but they are loud as heck. Mm. And so they showed up, you know, there were almost as many of them as there were as up at up us at the hearing where, you know, a thousand people were there, even though we know that eight out of 10 Bay Staters support access to safe and legal abortion. I right. think we should remove barriers to care, you know, but they're so loud. And I think that there were similar issues. It slowed down the conversion therapy bill. So there was a bill that passed in Massachusetts that said that if you're a licensed therapist, you can't treat someone for gayness. You know, you can't, you know, help them get ungay. That took way too long to pass. 
because of those people who came in and at the time when that passed I remember being in the building they would come in and do like pray-ins about this and to be clear with under this law you can still be a priest who counsels someone to pray the gay away you can still be an unlicensed therapist but you can't be a licensed therapist Massachusetts was the first state to roll back parental consent. How, how good do you feel about that one? I mean, so good, Martha, right? Like, do I wish that we'd want it completely 100%? Yes. But also, you know, we change the rules on this. You know, there's never been a state. So just for folks who are listening, some states don't have parental consent laws so that people under 18 can access abortion care themselves. And some states had them and it was struck down by court decision. But we're the first state that's ever reduced the restrictions on young people getting abortions, consenting themselves through the legislature, like through the legislative process. Um, and I think it's amazing. I think we had a huge breakthrough with messaging. So often the national messaging has been about how not everyone can go to their parents. And we, we learned in the course of this campaign that talking about parental consent generally was a losing approach because then everyone thought about their own kids. Everyone thought how they wanted people to be able to go to parents. Instead, we really focused the story on the judicial bypass process. So what it looked like, you know, let's assume the person can't go to their parents. Let's talk about what they're going through. And that was the winning strategy. I think that, you know, the fact that 80% of minors now will be able to consent to abortion care themselves is a game changer. And also that for those remaining 20%, they're not gonna have to go to court in person. They have to get on a teleconference. It doesn't even have to be video. Like that's a game changer. Cause we just know that young people who have gone through the process experience such shame and trauma from standing in court and being tried like a criminal is what I've heard folks say, that they feel like a criminal. So being able to take that away is huge too. So even though we didn't win, entirely for people under 16, we got a really significant change. So it's been really exciting talking to folks in other states where they're like, how do you do this? You know, how can we replicate it in our state? And I think Massachusetts has a history of leading the way. And I'm really excited to see other states try to do the same thing. So I, I love that we're talking about the fact that we're first in, you know, the, the Roe Act, among other things, but how do you, how, how do, being a role model is great, but how do we help other states? I, I just picture like your job <laughs> individually exploding, but you know, how, how does that, how does that work out in the end to um, really uh, support other states that might be looking to do the same thing? That's a really good question. And right now what we're doing is we're putting together a lot of materials that can be sort of exported. So there's not a lot that needs to be done there. You know, we're being like, this is how we talked about this. And the reality is that political conditions on the ground are different in every state, right? So I think that one thing is to the extent that there will be these fights in other states, like showing up for these state level fights is so important. You know, you could plug in and phone bank. Like I, um, I actually am on the mailing list of NARAL Missouri because Missouri is doing a lot of cool stuff. And so they'll organize. And one of the beautiful things about this sort of virtual world, world we're living in is that, you know, you can be doing all this organizing in other states. And I think that it's helpful, like sign up and show up for states who are doing 
cool legislative campaigns or cool ballot campaigns. You know, we saw a lot of out-of-state help for the fight in Colorado. They had a ballot question about banning abortion later in pregnancy, and they really effectively shut that down. So I think that really, you know, national organizations are important and are providing support, but seeing like what's happening at the state level and plugging in and volunteering there is always a great option. But also, honestly, continuing to do the work here in Massachusetts, because there's still real barriers to care that we need to show the way and remove those barriers and be the first in the nation to do it. So I'd say a little bit of, you know, show up in those other states, but also we've still got real work to do here to ensure access to care. So like, let's keep at it. We can't just be like, oh, great. We won this big victory. We're done now. We've got to keep getting to work here. Yeah. Very good point. As we look at the connection between having a national organization like NARAL out there, it's something for listeners in other states as well to check out the NARAL in their state. I just want to say that Having lived in the South most of my time in the States, NARAL Massachusetts have, has to keep on the work because everybody in the South thinks of Massachusetts as a blue state, which mm-hmm. we are not now that I have lived here, but very liberal, very up to, to the challenge and to get things going and get this country to where it should be instead of going backwards. So I would say NARA has to keep on going the way it is. We're not going anywhere. (laughs) Great, thank you, Gina. So if people want to find you more, they can find NARA Massachusetts on social media. And we would love to have you back to talk about what's coming up in the next legislative session. This last one was certainly historic. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thank you guys so much for all the work you do. Thank you. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com and have a great day.